Hey, Superwomen, if you happen to be in Dallas, you can experience the Augustinus Bader brand at their first pop-up store located in the West Village, next door to Sephora. The brand will open its doors on November 16th and will be there until the end of December. So stop by for all of your critical skincare needs. They will also be offering their Epic Spa services currently only available in New York City in this location, so be sure to book your Bader Glow just in time for your holiday parties. As my listener, you're going to get 20% off with the code SUPERWOMEN when you shop in store, and it's valid for product purchases, not services. Go get that glow, ladies. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Superwomen. Today's guests are the co-founders of Betches, the media platform that is probably on your phone or in your ear. They have incredible podcasts and content around everything from women to news to just memes that frankly make me laugh really hard when I need a break. So I'm going to be talking with Sammy Sage and Jordana Abraham today. We're going to get into what was the original idea for their business and how as college roommates, they have evolved into a multimedia company that is incredibly successful. Take a listen. Welcome, ladies. I'm so excited to talk to you. You make me laugh on the daily, so I'm excited that we get to chat. Thank you. We are too. We are big fans, so it's definitely mutual. So I would love for you to give a little bit about your background and then what brought the three of you together to start Betches and what was your original, like, obviously it's a huge media company today with many verticals, but I would love to know, like when you guys came together in a room or at a bar or wherever it was, like, what was that original idea? Sure. Um, so the three of us actually grew up together. We went to um, everything from like elementary school together until on Long Island um, to high school. And then we all went to the same college. Um, so we were all living together our senior year of college. And at the time, this is 2011. There was a lot of like what, what I think at the time was called fratire, which is kind of like Tucker Max, sort of a, a riff on like frat, fratty kind of culture. And really at the time, all we wanted to do was sort of describe the world around us in a way we didn't really feel like was being represented in any of the media that we were seeing. Everything we saw that was talking to women was kind of like a little cheesy, a little condescending. And we wanted something to like sort of describe each other or or to talk about our lifestyle or the world around us in a way that we did with our friends that felt like you were talking to a friend. Um, and that's really where the idea for the website came along. It really just came along one night in our apartment that we shared um, at Cornell together. So we launched it. We put it on one person's Facebook wall and it kind of went viral from there. And it was just growing really rapidly. And then we got a book agent sort of approached us to say, hey, this could make it. We think this could make a really cool book. And so we were already graduating, didn't really have solid jobs at that point. We were like, let's just do this and see where this goes. And here we are today, over 10 years later. <laughs> I have to say that's incredible because A, you started so long ago. You've obviously been through so many changes just as women. What do you think is the glue that's kept you together versus it spinning out into like, I wanted to work with my college roommate and now I fucking hate this woman. Like, how do you keep it together? 
I mean, I think the fact that we had pretty solid friendships before the business even started, because we had been friends since we were really young, there was a lot of history. And I think that we really honestly trusted each other. And I don't know, I think there's just a certain understanding when you've known someone for so long, and you are really on the same page in terms of you know, what you want to put out into the world. And, you know, in some ways we've been lucky that we haven't, you know, vastly grown apart and that we've been able to resolve challenges as they've come up. But, you know, it it's interesting because we really came of age with this business as we were, you know, running it together and sort of, you know, discovering who we each are while we're doing this business. And, you know, we met our partners during this time. And now, you know, we're all about to be married. Jordana's getting married in three weeks. So yeah, I mean, we've really like, we kind of joke that it's like a three-way marriage (laughs) of the three of us. And I just think like we've been willing to work on it, but it, you know, it was not without its challenges, of course. Yeah. I would love to dive into those challenges. What do you think, A, has been the hardest part of, you know, I'm partners with my brother. So as I, let's just say, had other interests or had kids, you know, like, and I don't mean to take a male versus female stereotype, but it was really hard for him. And I was like, listen, I'm leaving the office at six now. I got a kid. And he would work till eight because that's what he did and didn't have a uterus. And so we really would sometimes go head to head of like, well, what's, I'm working more than you. Well, you know, like how have you, as you guys have expanded your, your own personal lives dealt with some of those intricacies that when you sign up to be a co-founder, you don't necessarily talk about. Totally. I mean, also I think because we never even really started this out as a business, the process of navigating how to turn a friendship into a business has been something that we've spent a lot of time and energy working on. And that doesn't mean like, like Sammy said, it kind of feels like a marriage and there are good times and there are bad times. We've, I think we've definitely had periods where the three of us were on different pages or one person thought we should go in this direction. Another person thought we should go in that direction or something along those lines. Or one person thought maybe we can't, we can't do this. We can't expand into this new vertical and the other one or the other two disagreed. And I think that like, one of the drawbacks of being friendships is that you're so comfortable with each other that you kind of can like sometimes forget that it's your friend when you're in business and and not be like as kind as you would. But then I think also one of the benefits is that you're so close that you also know the person so well that there's nothing that really gets swept under the rug. Um, So it's really like allowed us and we've had help facilitating these conversations a lot of times just like What's real? Like, what's the real feeling? And I think, and I think the benefit of being women sometimes is that it's easier to talk about your feelings in some ways. So, like, what's the real feeling behind why you don't want to go into this project, or what are you afraid of? I think that's also something that we like explore, like, or how our emotions play into our business decisions. Um, and that hasn't always been easy. And like Sammy said, like we've been growing up with the business. So I think the older we've gotten, the more mature we've gotten, the more we've been able to really communicate. Um, ourselves and make effective business decisions through that. I want to highlight what you said because I think that's so important. And especially as women, we can talk, we can talk about our feelings. And I just feel like that opening that up, what are you feeling? What, why is so important? Because sometimes people do not want to share in my industry or open up and it just becomes, becomes other excuses. So I think that's a great note. 
So how did you deal with scale? And when did you notice scale? Because right now, if I'm counting, you have a ton of different verticals, as well as all these podcasts. So how did you do that? And, and what was your mentality and approach to that? So, I mean, this is really, this was all really 10 years in the making and we've never, we've never taken an investment. The three of us own the company entirely. Um, Hallelujah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, there's obviously a lot of, you know, advantages to that, but there's also a lot of disadvantages, you know, competitors have a lot more money to spend than, than we did. Um, But at the same time, I think that we weren't as, subject to sort of the trends in uh, that bigger digital media companies have sort of suffered from with, you know, expanding, maybe needing to lay people off. We've always really, you know, taken a very carefully calculated approach to our expansions and what we're going to go into next. Um, Always sort of using our past successes to fund the next, you know, the next project, but we never really did anything that cash heavy, you know, we've never, you know, built an app, you know, and spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on something like that. You know, we, we've pretty much always stayed within something that we know is low cost or that we could get ourselves out of if it wasn't successful. And really always kind of spending your own money has really taught us discernment how to make smart decisions that, you know, aren't frivolous and, you know, allowed us to also cut our losses when something isn't working. So it's really taught us a lot. But what you're looking at is is a very slow burn, to be honest with you. Well, I interviewed someone and she said, you know, people view my success as I did it in 30 minutes and it's been nine years and 30 minutes to earn my success. So I would venture to say, when you say slow burn, you have a similar, similar answer. Definitely. Definitely. So I would love to dive into leadership, how you guys divide and conquer, what has been great about running these businesses, what's been terrible. So. I think it, that was a struggle that we definitely had in growing the business because we, like like, I, like we've been talking about, we didn't really start it to for it to be a business. We started it just as a fun thing. And I think the more it became more about, okay, this is going to be our real career. We need to figure out how to monetize, how to be profitable. And like the three of us not really having business backgrounds, that was definitely a struggle figuring out like who was going to do what. And I think a part of that was like our growing up and our actually figuring out what interested, not only what interested the three of us separately, but also, you know, what we were good at. So what we were, so, and I think that's kind of how a lot of the content came about and a lot of our roles as leaders came about. And those have changed a lot over the years. I think as we've gotten into certain roles and then figured, but one thing we've always been very good at is knowing what we're good at and also what we're definitely what we're not good at. When we're not good good at something, we like to bring in someone or an advisor or hire someone who can do what we're doing because we all think, I think the three of us have always thought of each other as creatives, which is why it's sort of been hard to figure out or really get fully into the business side of things because that's not necessarily our natural area of expertise. But we've been pretty good at hiring the people that fill in those gaps or, you know, getting, again, getting a mentor, getting a consultant to figure out 
where we need to invest or who we need, who can, who can do those aspects of the business that we might not be best at. And laying out those roles and dividing and conquering. And, and I think to your point, you know what you're good at, you know what you're terrible at, which not, I don't think enough women admit. Like I'm the first to raise my hand and say my eyes cross when I see a spreadsheet, but I can tell you what shade of yellow is going to be hot next summer. So where did you, where did you all divide and conquer? And then where do you say, okay, we suck at this. This is where we're bringing in team. So we've really, I mean, like Jordana said, we all really started out doing various elements of creative parts of the business, basically creating content. And we still continue to do that by hosting a number of podcasts. But in terms of our roles right now, I, this is Sammy speaking, I'm the chief creative officer. So I basically oversee all the content. Jordana is the chief revenue officer. So she basically oversees all of our partnerships and any, and our e-com and any expansions into, you know, any sort of new revenue streams that we're, that we're starting. And Aileen, who is right now, she's on maternity leave. She's the CEO and she basically oversees pretty much all the branding, marketing, oversees the operations. But I will say when it comes to operations, that is one of the places that we're weakest. And that I would say is the biggest thing that we've outsourced. Everything having to do with HR, that sort of thing. We, you know, we've hired people and are, are working to really expand and empower those employees of ours. Yeah, I think that's smart. That was that was my mentality for hiring early on. Was what do I suck at? Great, that's my first hire. So I'd love to dive into each of your sort of personal lives and how have you, you know, I know that growing a company takes everything as you expand, it takes even more. What do you think some of the bigger sacrifices that you've made to build the company or not? Maybe you figured it out and we can all take a learning from that. Sure. So I think that we had a benefit of, I guess, a benefit and a drawback of starting this business when we were 21, 22 years old in that, you know, we didn't have any kids. There was no one really relying on us. We didn't have families to support. So it, we did have a, this mentality, which not everyone has, of, okay, let's give this a shot. Let's like do everything we can to make this our full career. And if not, we're young, you know, we can always get a real job. So I think there, we were lucky in that sense. And we could, we were also lucky enough that our parents would ha- would let us live with them um, in the year following college. So if we weren't, we weren't profitable right away, that was okay because we could still live at home with our parents. And then, you know, as we were growing the business, there was, I would say, a pain point in the first maybe like two or three years where we weren't really making much money. We were still, you know, we still had a lot of followers. We were still growing um, our platforms, but we weren't necessarily monetizing. And I think there was a moment where we were like, should we, you know, should we uh, cut our losses and just, you know, get a real job working for someone else and not have to worry about how am I going to make enough money to get out of my parents' house? How am I going to make enough money to get my own apartment? Um, how long should we give this? And I think that that was a real moment. And I had I had college student loans to pay. And I remember thinking like, I, and especially I think with Betches in 2012, 2013, you know, especially if you're thinking about your parents and the way they see it. And like, obviously there were things to legitimize us. We had a book deal with Simon & Schuster we had a website, we had a social following, but to to one's parents, that doesn't necessarily mean like, at least my parents cared about was like, are you going to be able to support yourself? 
Um, And at the time, the answer was like, no. And so that was really stressful. And I think that there were points where we had thought about doing something else with our lives in that moment. But the three of us, I think, being friends for so long really kind of helped wrangle each other in whenever anyone was feeling at that low point. And we somehow managed to sustain ourselves until we got to that place where we were profitable and we could support ourselves. But I remember you know, doing batches full time and I still I was I had a nannying job on the side. Um, and I had I remember I had like three different part time jobs to sort of just figure out how to piece together my rent because um, my mom decided she was not going to be helping me with that anymore, which was fine because I think that really also gave us the push to figure out profitability earlier than we would if we weren't, um, if we didn't have that pressure. So I I do remember kind of like having to juggle a lot of different side jobs and just being like, how long can I really keep doing this for? Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think in some ways that's a good thing because it teaches you the art of the hustle. Like I didn't, my parents were like, we're not even going to pay for an apartment, figure it out. And I lived with my friend uh, at Fordham University. He would sneak me in. Uh, <laughs> can't be replicated again today. But I think that it forced me to be like, I don't have a backup option. So I just got to hustle. And I think a lot of what you guys are saying is that that same hustle. Yeah, looking back on it, I'm like, wow, like, how did we how did we get to this? Like, it's really, you know, the more you think it's, it's really pretty. It's been a ride for us, honestly. You're gonna have to write another book soon. <laughs> So what I wanted to touch on, and you said that it's been a ride in those early years and you're, you know, you're nannying on the side and can you pay your rent? Like, I think, again, people probably see your brand now. You're a huge media company, all this success. And they think it's, it was that way from the beginning. And I, I tell people, I was like, I was married with a roommate who I was trying to scam to like, get extra Con Ed rent. You know, I was making $23,000 a year because that's what the company could pay me. This wasn't like some glamorous start. And and it's, I guess, nice to hear sometimes that other people have been through that as well and that it wasn't just this like you nodded your head and instantly you found success. Totally. And I think that Instagram can kind of make it feel like that if you're looking at social media and you're looking at people in business. I mean, obviously, it can make that you feel that way about anything, relationships, business. But a lot of the times it seems like success is so linear on uh, on social media when really for every deal you see go through, there's usually like two or three things that failed or two or three things that didn't work out. But no one's really sharing like, and this is the deal that fell through or this is the, you know, the thing I was excited about that didn't wind up happening. So um, it's just, I think it's important to just know that behind the things that you see. There's a lot of things that went wrong that you didn't see. Yeah. For sure. So would you say that from now a team perspective, and I'm just, I like to ask my, well, I guess I only interview women on this podcast, but obviously there's stereotypes that uh, when, when men are leaders, what, how they're viewed. And then I've said this candidly, like sometimes women as leaders by other women get eaten alive. I had a an employee say to me once, like, are you on your period? When I was asking why something didn't get done. 
And sometimes you're like, wait, we're all supposed to be kumbaya and supportive and, and we're all in this together. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, women can be just as mean to each other. Um, and so in growing your company, have you experienced anything of that sort or has it all been great? And, and how have you dealt with it? Well, I think for, I mean, I think for us, we've always sort of tried to, I mean, just to start, our company is like, I think 95% women, maybe like a little more, a little less, but we've always worked obviously with and among women. But because of that, we've essentially sort of like, we've no longer think about it as like, oh, we're working among women. Mm -hmm. Um, We just try to think about it as like, we are at work and this is, you know, we're all just here to, you know, succeed. So we've tried to sort of like stay away from that, like that emphasis on being like this very female company. Like we feel like it speaks for itself in our case, but you know, they're obviously like, you know, you have a lot of people working together and we've really tried very hard to make sure that culturally that is not an issue. And, you know, not to say that there have not been instances where it has been, you know, that there's been competitiveness or, you know, some of those things that you stereotypically think would happen between female colleagues. But we've really tried very hard to sort of convey that we don't tolerate that and um, that that's not what we're about. So yeah, that is something that, you know, we've really tried to cultivate. That's good. Because I think also when it comes to the idea that women should support each other, there's also this idea like you can still be competitive. That's healthy. It's just a difference of, hey, I'm going to beat you in the race versus I'm going to kill you, you know, which I I come from the fashion industry, which is notoriously, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Right. Totally. I mean, I think it's just better to, um, for people to be competitive with themselves than it is for them to be competitive with others. Mm -hmm. I think that's like ultimately how the best work gets done. Totally. Yes. I love that. Like whenever I see a woman who's doing something awesome, I'm not like, Ooh, I have to beat her at it. It's like, Oh, I I need to do that for myself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think the large part of that is like the, you know, I think it's called, Sammy, we had discussed this with someone once. It was like the growth mindset versus, Oh yeah. I forgot. Scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. And you know, the growth mindset being all about, you know, seeing, you know, seeing someone else doing well and then saying, oh, like this is inspiring instead of this is, um, you know, downplaying their achievement. Yep, totally. I love that. It's, it's, um, it's a good, it's a good one, especially for people that tend to be competitive, how they can shift it. Hey, Superwomen, if you happen to be in Dallas, you can experience the Augustinus Bader brand at their first pop-up store located in the West Village, next door to Sephora. The brand will open its doors on November 16th and will be there until the end of December. So stop by for all of your critical skincare needs. They will also be offering their Epic Spa services currently only available in New York City in this location. So be sure to book your Bader Glow just in time for your holiday parties. As my listener, you're going to get 20% off with the code SUPERWOMEN when you shop in store, and it's valid for product purchases, not services. Go get that glow, ladies. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you have, I am sure, been approached to be bought, invested in. You know, I think we're in this zeitgeist right now of people being like, build a unicorn and sell it for a billion dollars. And I'm just would love to touch on your mentality of you own it, you've taken on no investors, no debt. And what has A made you say stay strong in that resolve and or you know, at a time when I feel like a couple of years ago, media companies were selling all the time for crazy evaluations. Like what's been you, what's made you want to stay the course and continue to sort of own your destiny? Yeah. I mean, we've definitely, you know, had conversations with, with various partners and ultimately nothing was ever really right. You know, it's just never, whatever was out there was just, didn't feel right for us. And, um, you know, we feel very, very lucky, especially at this point, to be able to not only fund ourselves, but fund an, almost 40 employees at this point. You know, obviously, you know, those types of crazy valuations are very, you know, very tempting. But for us, it has always been very important for us to sort of maintain the company that we want to run. And, you know, there's something about that that you can't really like trade away. And the creative control has been very important to us especially, you know, as we've grown up to this point. It's not to say that there will never be the right partner um, or the right sort of, you know, arrangement. But up until this point, it's never quite been, you know, the right move for us. And we feel lucky that we've been able to, you know, stay this course. And I love it. And I love that you're staying strong with that because I think that sometimes, you know, even early on, I was like, what? They want to purchase my company for $5 million? I, you know, naively, you know, thinking like all my worries would go away if someone bought my company for that much money. And my brother was like, are you crazy? Stop it right now. Right. You know, like, <laughs> this yeah, is a they're... joke. We could sell it for a lot more money later on and your wor- and your problems will not go away. Right, exactly. And there's there's something that's really priceless about being your own boss and getting to really decide the direction of of your company. And I think that like while a lot of money might come, like you said, like, you know, five million dollars might sound like so much when you don't have that. But there is, you know, something to be said about seeing where you can take it yourself and then, you know, seeing what that payout could look like down the line. And while you're on that journey, you get to really be the one who's in control of your time and how the company is run. And that experience, I think, is something that 
is really worthwhile in the early years of a company, even if, you know, you do eventually, you know, sell it. Well, well, I also think people immediately assume that it's going to be all gravy. And when we, when we sold a chunk of our company, everything was all around a, what, you know, we got to go for growth. We have seven years to build this thing up and bloat it on steroids and sell it. And then you just start making different decisions. And then every quarter you're like preparing a month in advance for a board meeting. And you're like, wait, I just lost a month where I could have been focused on building the business. Right. It's a different, it's a different world, I think. And, you know, that's something that we would jump into like only with, you know, the real, you know, something that really felt right for us. Totally. What would you say is the biggest sacrifice you've had to make either professionally or personally? Sometimes it goes the other way to really build this incredible company and this incredible brand. Early on, for sure, more so almost than now. But I think it was it was just sacrificing the peace of mind that we were definitely going to be okay or that we were definitely going to have a steady income or a steady paycheck. And I mean, it's, it's funny because it's not like a physical thing or even like necessarily like a time, you know, like a bound thing. But just I think the anxiety for me, at least, that came with not knowing about the future, not knowing how, you know, if we were going to be able to do this and then living with that, that fear when I think the idea that, again, like the appeal to me of, okay, I'm going to work for someone else and it, this is their problem, figuring out how to, you know, how to hire another employee or how to retain someone or do do those things. And I think getting over that fear of like, if we, if we did fail, it would, we would still be okay. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we're having enough faith in the company and our, in ourselves to get through that. Yeah. Was definitely really difficult, at least on my end. Right. I think in those years, like first there were the years where we didn't have enough money to even pay ourselves. And then there were the years when like we could pay ourselves, but in a true, like maybe in like a true paycheck to paycheck fashion. And those years were pretty scary because like at that point, you know, you were paying rent and still at any time it felt like you know, it wasn't stable, you know, you didn't really have like a nest egg to fall back on if something did go wrong. And I think that was like its own, its own sort of period of, of the company that felt pretty, not unstable, but, you know, precarious. And I think it's more like, is this all there is? (laughs) Yeah. Are we working this hard for this? Like, or is, is there another? Yeah. And then, and that, and that I think, that was probably like i would say 6 or 7 years of of running the company maybe even like a little more and yeah that was i would say that was really like a challenging thing but again it also ties into you know why didn't we ever pursue you know some other type of partnership and on some level i think it's because we did believe that we would be able to get beyond that and do you sometimes still have that feeling? Like I still feel that way as a founder. Just that like, you know, you're holding on to something and you're like, will this ever feel how I want it to feel? Honestly, like I, I know this, I know this is weird because like, I'm not even, you know, this isn't even a financial comment that, you know, obviously I think 
you know, there's always room to make more money financially and, you know, have more success that way. But like, I really do at this point feel happy with where we are. Not that I want to stay in this place forever, but I really feel proud of, of, of where we are at this moment. I will say that. That's awesome. I agree. But, and I also think that, I mean, one of the hardest parts about business for me is the idea that you can't really coast like running a business. You really have to always be thinking one step ahead or two steps ahead, because if you don't, someone else is going to come in and maybe do what Mm -hmm. you're doing better or, or has already thought that through. And, um, I think that's what I still feel sometimes is like, um, wouldn't it be great to just like stay in this moment, stay here yeah. and re- and 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 have it be great here and not always be thinking about like, what's the new expansion and what's the new thing. But that's not really how businesses yeah, thrive. Right. So sometimes I feel that way right now, just when I think about always having to be in that totally. mindset. I-, I know. Sometimes I love that mindset and sometimes I hate it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, it does make you feel grateful for where you where you are because you're like, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, keep hustling. But at least at this moment, I get to feel safe in some way. Yes. Yes. You get to feel safe for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. So I like to ask all my guests these two questions. Is there a piece of advice you would love to pass on either hard one uh, or someone gave to you that really you're like, of all the shit that people spout at you, this one is actually a good one. I can share a piece of advice that I've gotten while planning a wedding, which I think it applies to all aspects of life. And my sister-in-law said this to me recently, actually. She was like, if you have 150 at your, people at your wedding, you have 150 different opinions of what people think that you should do or would like you to do. And you can't ever please... 150 people. I love that. So just do what you want to do or do what makes you, you know, do what makes you, makes you feel good and feels right to you. I love it. Yeah. That's a good one. That's great advice. Especially for a wedding, which. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of that, that uh, concern going on there. Um, along those lines, I would say I spent like a lot of my twenties just being, just trying to sort of like make the most amount of people happy, like make sure people were like always happy with me. And it took a lot out of me in terms of not getting a chance to discover really like who I was because that was always sort of in the way, you know, the approval of other people or what they might think. And I think something that people don't realize is that like, if you're thinking about that, you're not going to get to discover who you are. And the sooner you do discover that, the the happier you will be because you can then act in alignment with who that person is. So it's kind of similar to Jordana's advice, but yeah, that was something I definitely struggled with. And I wish that I had been able to get over sooner. I know it really sucks that all these things that come with age and experience, like I was like, I wish I was this confident when I was dating, you know, like just, yeah. <laughs> why did we, why did I get that after being married totally. for 11 years with three kids and saggy tits, you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> not exactly. totally, totally agree. It always, when you went, once you have it, it always feels like I, like Beyond. I could have used this a lot Beyond. more. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. My last question for both of you is what would we be surprised to know about you? Could be a weird habit. Um, could be a secret fear. Um, something you're just like, man, I'm scared of sharks and lakes. Sammy, I have one for you. <laughs> well, I think it might be the same as I, <laughs> I was going to talk about your nap, your nap dress. Oh, obsession. okay. That's, that's that a good like one. I was, I was actually going to talk about but you can do your own. No, no, no. That's okay. I love nap dresses. That's one. But another, what I was going to do was that I am completely, um, I'm horrible at booking flights and (laughs) that's what I thought you were going to say about me. Um, I'm just, (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I tend to just book the wrong thing frequently and it doesn't really, yeah, I love to travel, but I always book the wrong thing. So terrible, terrible at uh, the organizational Oof, well, aspect of planning. Good thing you're not in charge of things there, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, Jordana, what is yours? I have one for you. I love it. I love that you guys have one for okay, each other. Great, great. <laughs> That's so much better than so much easier to think of them for someone else. <laughs> you like love condiments. And like you have strange loves for things like condiments and puzzles and now classical music. Ooh. Yes. I am like very nerdy, I guess, is what you would call those things. <laughs> I I mean, I don't I don't know if nerdy is it or if it's like grandma. <laughs> You know, I will say I feel like the the adult coloring took the world by storm and I'm going to concur with you on the puzzles. I don't do a ton of them, but when I did over the winter time with my daughter, I was like this is really therapeutic. It is. Totally. Really, I mean, for me it was like the one thing that would get me off of my phone and not even interested yeah. in my phone. I really think it's like you're in like a state of flow when you're trying. There's very few things that I feel like that require the mental energy, but aren't, but actually feel good. They don't feel stressful to be fully like engrossed. And I think puzzles are great for that. that. Um, Okay, wait, I remembered one other question I wanted to ask you and then I'll let you ladies go. You just mentioned social media and getting off your phone as, again, the founders of a company that deals, you know, you have an incredible following across your platforms. You know, you're in people's ears. What is your relationship with social media and is it healthy or? Um, I would say that my relationship, like, I don't let it, I don't let social media like really affect my self-esteem anymore, but it's unhealthy in the sense that my screen time is nine hours. So... I guess you could say it's unhealthy, but in a one particular way, which is that I just can knock it off my phone. Wait, nine hours a day or per week? That's my average. Per, per day. day. Per okay. day. Wow. Okay. Day. All right. Sometimes yeah. it's eight hours, but you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And when you're doing it, are you doing it from the consumption of a consumer or this is for work? Both. It's really like a both, you know, situation. It's just, Yeah. I'm just constantly on my phone. Right. Like I cannot get off of it. Yeah, I would say that's a struggle for me as well, especially running a company that is so ingrained in social media. Like I think if you're a founder in general, obviously you're like constantly answering emails, doing work, but our company is like a yeah. social media company. So it's, you can't really, you couldn't do like a, an Instagram cleanse for, you know, a few days or a week or something. Like you would not be able to do that just based on like the, yeah. our day-to-day at work. 
So, and I would love, I would love to experiment with that, but it would just not, it wouldn't be feasible just given the nature of our company. So I think that's really a challenge. So if you have to recommend people tune in, listen to you guys, follow you, where should they go? There are many places, but if they want to listen to to the two of us talk on a podcast together, um, they can listen to the App Betches podcast where we kind of just, you know, like shoot the shit and we talk about pop culture and what we're watching on TV and we play games. Um, that's where you can hear us together. But we also have a number of other podcasts. Jordana, what which what should we plug? Sure. Um, so I have a dating and relationship podcast that I host co-host with a comedian, Jared Freed, called You Up. Um, you can definitely listen to me there. Obviously, follow at Betches on Instagram. I'm at Jordana Abraham. And then Sammy, what do you think is the best place to, to listen and find you? I'm at Sammy. I host a, a number of podcasts, but I would recommend listening to my daily news rundown called The Morning Announcements. It's a five-minute break, basically news breakdown with like funny commentary and jokes and I basically just tell you what is happening in the world five days a week. And it's called The Morning Announcements. You can find it anywhere. Love it. Well, thank you. It was so great to talk to you. And I and will continue to follow and uh, laugh with everything you put out. So thanks for making such great content. Of course. Thank you so much for having us. This was so great. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again. And you will hear from me next week.